The text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson, which was read earlier. You may be seated. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Put yourself in the disciples' sandals, so to speak. Imagine that you are there on that mountain. You've got, you went up onto the mountain, you are, so, you are sound asleep, and when you wake up, you see Jesus there. Now Jesus in this time that you've been with him, he has done incredible wonders. He's made the blind to see, the lame, the lame to walk, the mute to speak, the deaf to hear. You've seen, heard, seen him do incredible things, but in terms of physically, he was not that remarkable. In fact, according to Isaiah 53, the prophecy regarding Jesus, it says that he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. I know in all the paintings we see Jesus, this really handsome-looking young man, but if we, if we trust the prophet Isaiah... He wasn't remarkably handsome. And so it's amazing that all the... So there they are. They see him. They wake up, and he's glowing bright white. Brighter than your brightest LED light bulb. Brighter than the sun itself. He is glowing. And there he is. He's talking to Moses a man that has been dead for about 1,600 years, and Elijah, who never died, but he was taken up into heaven by a chariot. So if you're in that position, any idea what you would say? Well, you know, there's, kind of a, there's a, probably a good rule of thumb. If you're in something so incredible that you don't know what to say, think, or do, the best thing to say is... Nothing. Well, apparently, but Peter does not follow that advice. He says, Master, it is good that we are here. All right, he's, he's, he's okay so far. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now, you hear the word tent, you probably think camping. Oh, they just want to camp out. Well, this is where the newer English translations do not quite get the word. The King James translates it pretty well, and they translate it as tabernacle. They want to build three tabernacles. The purpose of the tabernacle was that was the place in the house, the presence of God. So when they say they want to build one for Moses, Elijah, and, and Jesus, Jesus, yeah, that's fine. But Moses and Elijah, they are not God. They're not supposed to worship Moses and Elijah. Notice in that epistle lesson, the whole emphasis is that Moses, yes, he, Moses was great, but he's not greater than Jesus. Moses is the house. Jesus is the builder. Or, specific, or to make it more specific, Moses is the one who's, Moses and Elijah, they spoke prophecies. They spoke the word of God. But Jesus is the fulfillment of those prophecies, and he is the word itself. 
He alone is to be worshipped. Which is why they get the voice from God himself. A voice that if you ever heard it, you would be quivering with fear. You would drop to your knees. And I'm almost certain there's probably somewhere a director's cut that tells us that one of the disciples soiled themselves when they heard this voice. But it says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Now that is odd. They told nobody. What they heard, what they seen, that is the greatest, that would be absolutely awesome. If you were in charge of marketing, you would be telling the disciples, you've got to go tell everybody what he's done. I mean, you saw this incredible sight. You've got to tell people. But instead, they keep silent. And the other Gospels tell us that Jesus is the one that told them to keep silent. See, this is a part of a trend of Jesus not doing things the way we would do it. A few weeks ago, we heard in the Gospel lesson that Jesus was healing all sorts of people. He was performing all kinds of miracles, and he was becoming more and more popular. And when the disciples came to him, and they told him that there were more and more people wanting to be healed, if you were the marketing campaign guy, you'd be like, keep it going, Jesus, you're getting more popular. What does Jesus do? He says, let's go to the next town. Why? Because he did not come to heal, to do miracles. He came to preach the gospel. Yes, he did those things. He, healed, he did all those miracles. He did that out of kindness and out of compassion. He did that to show who he was. But ultimately, he came to preach the gospel, to preach the good news. A little bit later, Jesus would preach a sermon on the plain. And he would tell them, blessed are the rich. No, he didn't say that. He said, blessed are the poor. He, did, he said, blessed are those who have more than enough. No, he said, blessed are the hungry. More specific, and now we might think, ah, oh, so poverty is what he's talking, he's talking about financial poverty. Well, the Gospel of Matthew actually lets us know that he's talking about those who are poor in spirit. Those who hunger for righteousness. Later, he'd tell a parable about the prodigal son, which would basically illustrate this sermon. That those who are like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who think that they are righteous, who think that they are all right, that they are perfect, they are spiritually awesome, that they are the ones who God desires. See, if Jesus was a good marketer, he would get those leaders behind him and tell them how everybody should be like them. But instead, he tell, he's telling people how you should actually not be like them. Rather, you, you should realize that you are poor in spirit. Realize that you are not righteous. 
But I know that is one that's difficult in our culture. If you look through Facebook memes, so many of those postings boil down to, look at how awesome I am and how awesome everyone is not. There's one that came up a couple of weeks, several weeks ago. I thought this, it's kind of one of those generational things where we always think our generation is better than the next generation. And so it was this picture of these, shows a picture of these four kids carrying its shovels. And it says, missing, seen, last seen before PlayStation and Xbox. Now understand, this is a few weeks ago. And I read that I'm like, if I saw four kids carry shovels, this is before we had snow. So I'm thinking, if I see four kids walking up and down the streets with four shovels, I'm more concerned than proud, because what are they going to do with shovels when there's no snow? But it still stems from this idea that the, the younger generation is so much worse off than we are, and the thing is, we forget the fact that our own parents were saying the same thing about us, and your grandparents were saying that about your parents, and your great-grandparents were saying that about your grandparents. Every generation thinks the younger generation doesn't have as something off. All the while, mis forgetting that while there are good things, in, there are good things in every generation, and every generation has its weaknesses. I mean, for example, we think the 70s and the 80s and the 90s were, the pro were great years, all the while missing that is the most violent periods in the history of this country. The media has us convinced that we are in the most dangerous period in our history, when in actuality we are in the safest period in our history. All of it, the reason we think the way, reason we think this way, it's all ego. We think we are righteous. When in reality, we should realize we hunger, we should be hungering for righteousness. That's what Jesus calls for. Then you come to that right before the Mount of Transfiguration. There are a section of three readings that I really kind of get bugged by how, where those readings end up in our lectionary. I feel, almost feel like they should be set as the readings immediately before the transfiguration. But as it is, in order, the last time we read those readings were 2017, and the next time we will read them are in 2020. So we have to hope that you remember over that period. And right before this is Jesus, Peter gives the confession that, he, that Jesus is the Christ of God. Then Jesus gives the prediction what that means that he is the Christ. That he is going to be arrested. He is going to be betrayed. He's going to be, handed, he's going to be given over to sinful men and he will be killed. And then he tells the, his followers... He tells them, if you follow me, you're going to be well, filthy rich and the whole world's going to love you. Nope, he didn't say that. He said, if you wish to come after me, you must deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. What does it mean to pick up your cross? It means to humiliate yourself out of love for another human being. That another may know Christ. 
Jesus doesn't do things the way we expect. And the Mount of Transfiguration is the climax of that. Right there, they see the glory of Jesus. They see that he is God in the flesh. And yet, even though that is his glory, that is not his moment of glory. The moment of his glory, he has his face set towards it. He has his face set towards Jerusalem. He is, he is this is the whole conversation he is having with Moses and Elijah, that he himself will be killed. That he is going to Jerusalem, in which you realize that this, the moment, you'd think that the transfiguration is his moment of earthly glory. Because there he is. The, I mean, like, if this was a movie, it would be the most awesome of special effects. In movies, they want to have as many special effects as you can get. So you'd think that this is the ultimate moment. And yet, Jesus' moment of glory would come later. When he would be stripped naked. When he would be forced to be carry a 125-pound piece of wood to Mount Golgotha, to be nailed to that cross, to have the blood slowly pour from his body, to slowly suffocate. Asphyxiation is the, co the common cause of death in crucifixion. They suffocate. And eventually he died. He was, it is there, right on the cross, the thief says to him, Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. To which Jesus says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. See, his kingdom is being established not on the Mount of Transfiguration when he's showing his glory. Rather, it is on the cross where he is refraining, restraining all of his glory. The Mount of Transfiguration tells you two things. One is that he could have stopped it at any moment. He could have come down from the cross and ended it at any second. But he didn't. Because by his dying, he makes you his. He makes you who hunger, as we hunger for righteousness, as we hunger as we, 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 are, we who are the spiritually poor, by his shedding on the cross, by his emptying of himself, he gives us the kingdom. He makes us heirs of the kingdom. And the glory that they see in the transfiguration on the eighth day is reminding them that on the eighth day of Holy Week, he would emerge gloriously from the tomb, risen, bodily, glorious, and as they see Moses and Elijah standing there talking to him, you know, people ask, will I remember, recognize my loved ones when I get to heaven? Well, that's actually right there your answer. I don't know if you realize this, the internet was not invented in the first century yet. And they had no pictures of Moses or Elijah. They had no idea what they looked like, and yet they knew who they were. So not only will you know your loved ones, and this is great for people. I know if you're like, some of you are those people 
who cannot remember names extremely well. You're like, you know that one person, they had that curly hair, what's their name? And, you know, they worked at this place back in the 70s, or, you know, you go through that whole list. What we see is that you will know people who you never even knew on this earth. You will know everybody. You will see the family that you are, united by blood, the blood of Jesus. What they saw on the Mount of Transfiguration was a glimpse of what Jesus was going to win on the cross. See, this is why Transfiguration is right before Lent. It's getting us ready for the season of Lent where we are focusing on, we are focusing on repentance. We are mindful of our sin. We are mindful of what brings us death. We are preparing ourselves to die. So that when we get to the season of Easter, we will prepare ourselves to rise. Because death is not the end. Like Moses, like Elijah, we will rise on account of our glorious Lord. To him be all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ keep you in the one true faith for life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.